All right, let's pray together. Let's open our hearts. Let's open our minds. I am so excited about the message this morning. Those of you preachers and ministers and teachers in the house, you understand that occasionally you get a word from the Lord, and you just know this is a right now word for this season, for us, for our church. I have been so blessed as I was studying and praying over this, and I really sense today that this is one of those right now moments. So this is not to, the day to be playing Candy Crush on your phone. Can I have an amen? This is not the day to be checking Facebook while we're in the sermon, unless you're retweeting all of my good quotes that I say. This is not the time to be sleepy and all that. This is really a time to lock in because the God of all the universe is going to speak to us today, and I'm so excited. Let's pray together. Let's jump into the word this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I just pray 2 Thessalonians 3, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that your word has freedom this morning. It has freedom to change us. I confess, Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, that the word of God builds us up and the number of disciples increase in our church. Father, I just thank you, Psalm 19, 119 and 11, that we hide your word in our heart so we will not sin against you. We want to hear from heaven this morning, and we thank you for releasing your word to us in the name of Jesus. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. I'm so excited. It's just 1021, and so I have all kinds of time to preach this morning. But the clock is an hour backwards, so, and that was my fault. I set the clock, or did I do it on purpose? We'll never know. So I know it's really not 1020, but no, don't change it. It's not 1220. No, it's not 1220. That was a sneaky trick. Jared, how'd you enjoy your last day as a media team? Hallelujah. I'm teasing, but uh, we're, we're in our series this morning on the book of Mark, and I was telling my friends from out of town that we have chosen the book of Mark, and we're going through it uh, chapter by chapter and, and paragraph by paragraph, and we are in chapter 7. We've been in the book of Mark since January. How many of you are praying we finished the book of Mark before Jesus returns? But this has been such a blessing to me, and it's called On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. Would you say that with me? On your mark, get set, go. And Mark is all about action. Mark is all about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I was talking to Brooke and Tyler uh, Martin, who are missionaries to the UT campus, and they attend here at our church, and we're thankful for them. And they actually go through the book of Mark as their uh, example, as their template when they disciple students. And so this really helps us grow. How many know the church needs to get into action? The church has sat in the pews far too long. How many know we need to get the message of the gospel out of the stained glass windows and into the streets? And so that's why I love the book of Mark, because it forces us to, to identify and confront that this is an action gospel. Mark says immediately and immediately and this, and it's so fast-paced. And how I many know your pastor likes a really fast-paced gospel? I get bored easy. And so I thank God for Mark, the way he just takes us through the story of Jesus. And so let's turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to jump in this morning. We are talking about mega faith. Mega faith. Look at your neighbor and say mega faith. We're going to be talking Mark chapter 7, and I believe we're going to be in verse 24 through 30. We're talking about the Syrophoenician woman. Now, we may have a pop quiz at the end of the service to see who can spell Syrophoenician, and we might have a prize for you. I would think Susan's the only one in the house that can probably spell it, and maybe George. But I got in trouble one time saying somebody was the only person, and George said, you don't think I can do that? And I said, well, you're probably right. You probably can. And so Susan and George could probably spell Syrophoenician. But we're talking about the Syrophoenician woman, and we're talking about the healing of her daughter. And, and I'll just kind of let the cat out of the bag. Jesus tells this woman, this Gentile Greek woman, he says, you have great faith. You have great faith. There are two people in the New Testament that Jesus said had great faith. One was the Roman leader of the hundred, the, the Roman centurion. He had great faith. And then this little woman who didn't even deserve to be there, this little Syrophoenician woman had great faith. How many times did he tell the disciples, oh, ye of little faith, don't you believe? Haven't you got this yet? Don't you understand? Which category are you in this morning? When Jesus looks at you, does he say, 
mega faith. That word great is the Greek word megos, and we get our English word mega. So this woman had mega faith. Which category are you? If you're over here in the wimpy faith, we're going to help you move to mega faith today. Can I have an amen? All right, let's read a few passages here, a few scriptures. I'm coming from the New Living Translation, just for ease of understanding. You know, we need to make the gospel message as simple as possible for everybody in the room. You may have been in church 30 years, but what about the guy that's just starting this journey with the Lord? Or what about the lady who doesn't yet know the Lord, but she thought this was interesting, and someone loved her and invited her? And so we've got to make the gospel message as simple as we can for everyone to understand. So don't fight me over the translation. If you love another translation, you're welcome to bring it and read it. Can I have an amen? All right, so it says this, then Jesus left Galilee. Now, if you remember in Mark chapter 6 on into chapter 7, and Pastor Randy did such a great job last week. Can we encourage Pastor Randy? He did such a great job teaching on our heart and, and the Pharisees and, and what God wants to do and inward work, and it was such a great message. But if you remember, Jesus is trying to take a vacation but he keeps getting interrupted. How many of you have ever had a vacation interrupted? Dear me, Jesus is trying to get away. He's found out about the death of John the Baptist, and they've had all this ministry going on, and Jesus is trying to get away. He's trying to rest and relax with his disciples. So he says, I can't get anything done in Jerusalem. I'm going to leave Galilee, and I'm going to go to the farthest point north, that I can go, and this is the most northern point that we see any ministry in the life of Jesus. How many know he is trying to get away? And so how many know you can take a vacation from physical work, but you cannot take a vacation from spiritual work? You can take a vacation from your job, but you cannot take a vacation from divine appointments. And Jesus demonstrates that in a very powerful way. So Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when God has done a work in your heart and God has done a work in your family and God has done a work in your house, it's going to be hard to keep it a secret. And so I love this. He could not keep it a secret. Verse 25, right away a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. And it goes on to say that her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. We're going to look a little bit later on in Matthew, and she was severely possessed. This is not some little deal. This is a major issue. This woman comes. Her little daughter is demon-possessed by an evil spirit, verse 26, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And so this is here how we come to this point, and what I want to release to you this morning and talk to you about is five marvels of mega faith. How many of you want mega faith? How many of you want Jesus to look at you and go, man, you got it together. You got great faith. I want to hear that so bad. I long, my heart longs to hear Jesus say, you have great faith. How many know a lot of churches today, a lot of church people today, I don't know if I could lump them in that category because great faith is risky faith. When's the last time you took a risk with your family, a calculated risk for the Lord? As, as a church, we need to continue to take risk. God never called us to be safe and secure. He called, just like he called Adam and Melissa to go to the Dominican Republic, he called them to take a risk. There are people on the other end of your risk that need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to challenge you this morning to be faithful when God is calling you. Don't just take dumb risk. Can I have an amen? But sometimes you need to obey the Lord, and God doesn't, God doesn't call us to comfortable, cushy, nice settings. Have you ever noticed that? The Lord calls us to challenge. He calls us to risk because it's hard work to reach people for Jesus. It's hard work to be a disciple of Christ it's hard work to be a dedicated follower of Jesus. Anybody out there? Is this, thing, is this thing on today? It's hard work to follow the Lord. And so let's give you some marvels of mega faith. Here we go. Ready? Number one. Number one, the first marvel of mega faith. Mega faith brings problems to Jesus. Mega faith brings 
problems to Jesus. We'll turn over now to Matthew 15. We're going to pick up Matthew's account. He brings out some things that are just a little different than Mark. And so Matthew 15, verse 22, this Gentile woman lived in the same area, pleading, having mercy on me, Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon and torments her severely. The Bible says she came crying. Somebody say crying. That's the Greek word krazo, and it means to cry loud. It means to weep. It means to shout. And so Jesus and his disciples are in the home, and they're resting. They've got the NFL network on, and they're watching the Denver Broncos play. And that's, they didn't have the NFL network back then. But they are in there. They're resting and relaxing, and this woman is weeping and crying. How many of you have ever been in a house where there was a crying child or a crying baby. You can hear that baby all over the home. My home is we have a, a large upstairs and downstairs, and there's uh, steps that go down, and my kids can be on the other end of the basement, and I can hear them when they're fussing, and I can hear them when they're crying. And in this day, these homes were not large. And so I can imagine they're trying to rest They've got incense burning. They're trying to relax. And this woman is weeping and wailing. She's crying. She's shouting because she has a major, major need. Now, even though she doesn't live in Israel, she's heard enough about Jesus to know that he can heal. And her daughter is severely oppressed. Now, the, the, the point here is mega faith brings their problem to Jesus. This woman brought her issue to Jesus. My question is, why would people not bring their problems to Jesus? I begin to think about that. Why would people not want to bring their problems to Jesus? And in your own mind, in your own heart, you can think of some reasons why. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not a, a good enough Christian to do that. Maybe it's just lack of knowledge. You understand the Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. That's why if I were you, I would be in church every time I could, a good Bible-believing church. I would be reading my Bible daily. I would be listening to good ministers and podcasts. I'd be reading commentaries because people perish for a lack of knowledge. And I don't want to have a lack of knowledge. Can I have an amen? And so I begin to think, why would people not bring their problem to Jesus? But many of you in this room today, you have problems and issues and challenges, and you have not yet fully given them to the Lord. And look at this slide. You'll see it on the screen. God cannot bear the burden you don't bring. God cannot bear the burden you don't bring. Remember the old song, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there, leave it there, leave it. I mean, I think the worship team should sing that, not me. Praise God. We remember that old song. God can't bear the burden you don't bring. So mega faith, point number one, is you have to be willing to bring your problem to Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7 in the Amplified Translation. I want you to see this. Cast, that means to throw on. It means to, like you would cast something off. Cast all your care. Somebody say all. Boy, Christians are really good at casting half. Lord, concerning who I want to marry, concerning who I date, I'll give you everything, Lord. I'll give you my job. I'll give you my money. But Lord, don't mess with who I need to date. Sure, they're not a believer, but I'll win them to Jesus. Somebody say, uh-oh. Or, Lord, I'll trust you with my family. I'll trust you with my job, but I, I can't really trust you with, with 10%. Can we start with five? <laughs> Can we start with two? I can't really trust you. Or we have a problem in a situation. Maybe it's in our health or maybe it's in relationships. And we trust the Lord, but the Bible says cast all. Christians are good at hanging on, but uh, we're just good at hanging on to part of our care. John and Maxie travel around. They're evangelists, and they travel and preach all over the nation, and it would be so easy for them to hang on to some of that care for what they have to do, not knowing where they're going to be next week or the week after, not always knowing how the money's going to come in. It would be easier for them to, to kind of hang on to some of that and try to make that happen. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all. Somebody say all. Cast all your care, all your anxiety, all of your worry, all of your concern. 
once and for all. If God is bearing your burden, then you don't have to bear it. Cast all. How many of you have concerns and anxieties and worries? Those are natural things. Once and for all, meaning make it a decision. It's a done deal. I'm not going to bear this burden. I was talking to somebody about Pastor Randy, uh, you know, planning the church, and, and uh, we're not losing him. We're investing him. We're sowing him. And how I many know oh, you reap what you sow, praise God. And I said, you know what? It's not my problem. It's God's problem. Because he's obviously does a lot here, and there's a lot that happens, and he's involved. And so there's an element of who's going to do this and who's going to step up. And, and I said, you know what? It's not my problem. I'm not going to bear that burden. The last time I checked, this is God's church, and he's going to take care of it. Notice this here. Why do we cast our care? Because he affectionately cares about you. He is carefully watching over you. Can somebody say Amen. Not only there, but Jesus recorded in Matthew 11. If you don't believe old Peter, how about you believe Jesus? Look in Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And the Lord showed me something on this verse I've never seen before. New revelation right here in connection with what Pastor Randy was teaching last week about the Pharisees. They created over 600 laws in addition to God's laws. I mean, think God's laws are enough. I don't need to add 600 more. In context, this is talking about obviously burdens, but it's talking specifically about over-religious burdens. Those of you who are carrying heavy religious burdens, I mean, you're trying to work for, you're trying to earn, you're trying to deserve, you're trying to be good enough, you're carrying the religious burden. Jesus says, come to me, take my responsibility. He says, take my yoke in the next verse. That means leadership. Jesus is saying, let me drive. Let me have control. Look at your neighbor and say, let Jesus drive. He can drive way better than some of you. I've seen some of you drive. Take my yoke. Give me leadership. Let me drive. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we've got to come unto the Lord. Mega faith brings their problems to Jesus. Now the Greek word here. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where it says, I will give you rest. He says, I will give you rest. It's a beautiful word in the Greek language. It means renewal. It means a place of blessed quiet. When we bring our problems to the Lord, our cares, our anxieties, our worries, he takes all that and gives us renewal, gives us a place of blessed quiet. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the word there means on rest. You know, I, I think next week is uh, Mother's Day. FYI, PSA, public service announcement. Next week is Mother's Day, in case you forgot. We want to honor our moms next week, and we're so honored to do that and excited to do that. But this was a mother in this story. She was a deeply concerned mother, and she brought her child to Jesus. Every parent in the room, listen to me if you can. Bring your children to Jesus that's why I'm so thankful for the Tara Lawson and all the pre-quest team, what they do. And I'm so thankful for the kids quest team and all that they do. And I'm so thankful for our youth ministry and all that they do. Because we need to take every chance and every opportunity to bring our children to Jesus. Come on, let's give God thanks. That's why I'm not picking on you and I'm not telling you what to do. And there may be situations where this doesn't happen in my family. But there's a reason when we have all church prayer that my kids are in the back praying too. I tell my kids, I say, kids, tonight is not a play night. Tonight is not a night to hang out in the back and pray. Well, what if the kids are loud? Let them be loud. I think the Holy Spirit can speak a little louder than the kids. Come on. There's a reason when we do all church prayer that I want my kids in there and I want my kids praying. I had Noah one day praying with BJ. They were on a prayer team. And little Noah at eight years old had to pray over BJ. How me you know that's training them up right? Because I want to bring my children to Jesus. When the doctors give up hope, when the counselors can't do anything, when the psychiatrists have no answer, Jesus has the answer. We've got to bring our children to Jesus. 
If you have a child that's not following the Lord, you bring them to Jesus through your prayers. You bring them to Jesus through your intercession and interceding for them. Never give up. Look at your neighbor and say, never give up. Amen. This is good preaching, whether you like it or not. Praise God. Not only does mega faith bring their problems to Jesus, don't be afraid to do that. Bring, bring your problems to the Lord. Number two, you'll see it on the screen, mega faith is persistent in prayer. Mega faith is persistent in prayer. Now, I want to kind of dial back just a minute, if that is possible, because I want to do some teaching here. So don't get bored because I'm not as loud. Amen? Because what I want to say, I want to say it right. Because this is a major issue for me. And I want to get it right. I want to teach it right. I, want to, I don't want to be unclear in what I'm about to say because literally heaven and hell hang in the balance and literally life and death hang in the balance. And literally the way I teach this can affect your, the rest of your life. This is a major responsibility. We're going to talk about persistent in prayer. Mega faith is persistent. This woman kept going to Jesus, kept going to Jesus, kept going to Jesus. Look at Matthew 15, verse 23. Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Heaven was silent. Have you ever prayed and felt like heaven was silent? And we look at Jesus and we go, oh, he's loving and he's compassionate and he's caring. But Jesus, if we're honest, was ignoring this lady. Even to the point, we'll see in just a minute, where it was starting to really bother the disciples that the lady was even there. Who knows how long this woman had been crying and weeping and begging Jesus, and he did not even answer her a word. And so we have to deal with that. It's in the passage we can't just gloss over it. We have to ask ourselves, what does this mean for us today? So notice this here. He gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him, send her away. Tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all this begging. Boy, that's a compassionate bunch. I have so much I want to say here, and I'm going to just start saying it. And maybe I'll catch up with my notes, or my notes will catch up with me. But I'm just going to start saying some things here along these lines. The Lord, I feel like, really revelated to me that it's easy to have compassion and love for people that are like us. They were in another city, another town. This woman was a, a Gentile, a Gentile, someone that's non-Jewish. No one in, in outside, no one outside of the region of Galilee and Jerusalem that was a Gentile had been healed, touched by Jesus. It wasn't their time yet. Jesus was sent to the house of Israel. He wasn't ministering to the Gentiles. There were some Gentiles who were touched, but they were there under the auspices of the, of the, the culture of Jerusalem and, and in Judea. And so I want you to know here that these disciples had seen so much hurt they had seen so much need. They had seen all these sick people, and all, they had, they were just, they had had enough. I don't want to see one more sick person. I've heard of churches that have split before because they've started homeless ministries, and good church people say, we don't want those homeless people smelling up our church and sitting on the front row and leaving cans in our parking lot. Tommy Barnett says, if you don't have beer cans and cigarette butts in your parking lot, you're not a church. But honestly, honest to God, I've heard stories of it before. So this woman was not like them. It's easy to love people that are like us. Same background, same culture, same social economic status. I mean, it's easy to hang out with Rick and Susan. They're independently wealthy. I'm independently wealthy. I mean, we get along, you know. That's a joke. Uh, those of you listening by CD, that's a joke. About me, I can't speak for Rick and Susan, but that's a joke for me. But it's easy to get along when you like people. But what about people that are different? What about people that have a different background? What about people that have a different set of beliefs and a different set of values? And what about people that don't dress like you and look like you or act like you or smell like you? Or she's just a dog. We're going to see that in a minute. They had such a prejudice against Gentiles 
They were like, this woman is getting on my nerves, Jesus. It's obvious you're not going to do anything. Can you send her away? How many of the disciples did not have all this figured out? Look at your neighbor and say, but there's hope for you. (laughs) There's hope for us. We need to be persistent in prayer. Let me quote a few to you. They won't be on the screen. Let me just quote these. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Bring your concerns to him. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a warning for us that I believe is, is from the Holy Spirit. I say that cautiously. I say that reserved. But I have a warning from us that I really think we need to meditate on today. How easy it is to become inward focused. These were the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had healed thousands of people by this point. I know they had compassion. I know they had it, but they were tired. They were on vacation. It's all about me and what I want and what I need and what I want. They were inward focused. And I want to share with you this morning that everything we do on a Sunday morning, everything we do on a Sunday morning needs to cater to those of the church of not yet. I asked Joseph this morning to leave this chair up here for me because I want to make an example. And for the next several weeks, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to preach with this chair up here if somebody reminds me to put it up here because I want it up here. This chair. And each week we may do something different with it. But this chair represents someone in our community that does not know Jesus, someone that is lost. As a church... We will cease to exist if we become inward focused. Sunday mornings are a great time to come together and to celebrate and worship the Lord together as a body. But church cannot be about me and church cannot be about what I want and church cannot be about what I desire. Church is about the body reaching people. What did Jesus say? He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm so concerned that we don't have a giant role of lost people that we're reaching as a church. Are we growing in the Lord? Yes, I think so. I hope so. Are we loving one another? Yes. Are we growing in relationship together? Yes. And we need to continue to do that. But the moment a church becomes inward focused, I'm going to say a few things here, and I don't have anybody in mind, okay? Somebody say, he's not talking about me. Oh, you need to help me there. Say, he's not talking about me. I'm just talking in general. But if the shoe fits, wear it, praise God. When we park up front and we're able to park farther away, it's a sign of we're inward focused. Same thing for me. When I have to have my preference, I'm not talking about principle, I'm talking about preference. When it has to be my preference, I'm inward focused. When it comes to us as a body, being in here at 1030 when we start to create an atmosphere of worship, so if there's a guest in the house that isn't saved or doesn't know the Lord, they don't feel weird because they're the only one in the seat. When it comes to just spending, when we're not in here at 1030 to start, honestly, I don't mean this mean, but we're, we're just, we're inward focused. We're not thinking about the body. We're not thinking about our calling. Even some of my sermons, I realize are I'm a little inward focused on the way that I preach and the way that I teach. And my, 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 my message is this. We're not so far off the reservation that we can't be fixed, but I believe God is stirring us and saying this is not about us. This is about those out there that have not yet met the Lord. It is our job to reach them and invest in them outside of these walls and bring them in here to be discipled, but we've got to make it an easy path for them to jump in and go. Do what we do on Sunday mornings. Is it conducive to people that have no knowledge of Jesus? Now, we're not talking about watering down the message. We will have, like we're doing now this summer, we'll have intense classes and Bible studies and all church prayer. Listen, if you want to come to church and pray for 45 minutes, we do that at all church prayer. It's amazing. It's like like next to me preaching one of the favorite things that happens at our church. But my concern is this. These disciples had become so inward focused that it was about them and not about the lost and not about the hurting. So everything we do in a church is a body. 
We can't, it can't just be inward focused. We have to be for the good of the body. And nobody, I have nobody in mind. And I don't think we're, we're terribly negative at this, but I just sense a warning that I, we're, we're, we're maybe a little bit comfortable that we have this many seats filled. Thank God for that. But I think God is going to hold us accountable for the rest of the seats. I'm just being honest with you. And I don't want to be the church that's inward focused. That's why I praise God for Jay. That's why we do Mission Sunday, because I never want it to just be about what we're doing inside of these walls or what we're doing in our small group or what we're doing in our little deal, because we have a lost and dying, hurting community out there, and they need us. They need us full of God. Can I have an amen? And so my concern is these disciples had become inward focused. And again, please, if that offends you, inward focused? Because you're offended. I don't mean that mean. I don't mean that negative. But if things like this offend us, let's think about the body and the good of the whole in our assignment. We are on assignment, ladies and gentlemen. We do not just exist to be a social club. We exist to change this city and change this community for the love of Jesus Christ. Come on, amen. I hope you're supporting that. We have a mission, and time is short. Time is short. We need some urgency about what we're doing and what we're called to do because we're letting people die and go to hell every day around us, and God has planted us in this community as a lighthouse. So we need to be urgent about what God has called us to do. Hope you can receive that. Now let me give you some different looks here about this because I want to help you just a little bit. So when we talk about this passage here, she begged the Lord and she begged the Lord, and I want to take just a minute here. But we have to look at this through the lens of, number one, the finished work of Christ. There are folks that teach this. And again, I, don't wanna, I didn't come to step on everybody's toes today. I really didn't. I, just, I came to encourage you. But there are folks that teach this, that you've got to beg God and plead with God and beg God and plead with God to get him to do anything. God has his blessing for you, and it's in his stingy hand, and if you cry loud enough and beg loud enough, God might open his hand. You might get a crumb on the floor of God's bread that he's given to his children. There are people that teach that. And I want to tell you my view. I want to tell you the way I present this. I want to tell you the way that I interpret this. Number one, we have to read the story of the woman begging and crying out. We have to read it through the lens of the finished work of Jesus. This woman was not born again. Can I have an amen? This woman did not have the Holy Spirit on the inside of her. Can I have an amen? This woman wasn't even Jewish. Can I have an amen? She had no right to anything that Jesus offered. Neither do we apart from him. Neither do we apart from accepting him as our Savior. Can you see the parallel? I just kicked the lost person. I'm sorry, lost person. You should know Jesus. Number two, we've got to view this passage through the revelation that we are the righteousness of God. We are now adopted as sons. See, I no longer approach God as a slave. I approach God as his child. Everything he has and everything he is has now been transferred to me and available to me because of what Jesus did on the death, on the cross, and the resurrection. I'm not, I've got to move this lost person. That may not work. We have to put him over there. Now, hear my heart. We're going to take a different look at this, okay? If you read Romans, if you read Galatians, if you read Ephesians, we're going to look at a passage in Romans. It says we are children of God. Look at this. I think it's in Romans chapter 8. Look at this on the screen. You've not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we cry out to him, Abba, Father. And so his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are the children of God. This woman who did beg, yes, she begged, but that is not a pattern that we have to beg Jesus to release his blessings in our life. Now, I'm all about being persistent in prayer. I'm all about continuing that and keeping that going, and I'm going to teach you how I do that in my view. And if it's different, I'm not here to offend you. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to share what works in my life. I'm all about praying and persistence, but I'm not about begging. 
Real quick, the scriptures that people use, they use Luke 18 with the unjust judge. You guys remember? This widow had legal problems, and in Luke 18, she came to the unjust judge and, and, and over and over and over again, and just kept begging and begging and begging and over. And finally, the judge had enough and granted her need. And people use that, and they say, see, here's another example. Number one, you can never compare our loving Heavenly Father to an unjust judge. It takes a foolish person to say that Jesus is comparing his father to an unjust judge. I just don't get it. Now look with me at Luke chapter 18 and verse 6. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 18 and verse 6. Let's pick up at the end of the passage. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge, meaning the judge got it wrong. Let's learn something here. I want you to learn this. And in verse 6, it says this, in verse 7, even the judge rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him night and day? That's persistent prayer. But it doesn't say who beg God night and day. It says who cry out and call out unto him. There's a difference in the way we review that and the way we receive that. Will God keep putting them off like the judge did? Verse 8, I tell you. He will grant justice to them quickly. Now notice this here. This changes the way you view that passage. Notice this part in this next verse. In verse 8, if you're with me, say amen. It's not there. That's not it. But we'll keep going anyway. Look at verse 8. I tell you, God will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, listen to this, friends. How many? Somebody say, how many? When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth that have faith? That's what your Bible says. It doesn't say when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find begging God and pleading with God and begging God? He says, how many will he find that have faith, persistent faith? Can I just be honest with you? Would you rather me lie? (laughs) Can I be honest with you, Louise? Really, in the in the New Covenant, even the, the Gospels are not technically what we would call the New Covenant because Jesus hadn't died and shed his blood. Now, some of the chapters are at the end, but the New Covenant, it's in the New Testament. I'm not trying to mess with the way your Bible is outlined, but I'm just trying to help you think here. The New Covenant is after Jesus was killed, crucified, and raised from the dead. That's the blood of the New Covenant. Are you, are you with me? Do you agree with that? The only time in the in the New Covenant we see someone begging and pleading with God, it didn't work. And that's Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. The Bible says a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, was sent to him, which I believe is persecution. I'm not going to fight you over that, but it says a messenger. The word messenger in the Greek is always used of a person. So there were people sent into Paul's life to buffet him because of all the revelation he was getting. And God will never deliver you from persecution We can't pray to be delivered from persecution. It's going to happen. Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll be persecuted. Anybody out there? But Paul said, I begged God three times to remove this thorn in the flesh, and he didn't. So the only example we have of somebody begging God to do something, it didn't work out so good for him. So my example is, well, how do we be persistent in prayer? How do we pray? Jared, if, you can, if you've got this next screen, I want you to see this. There is a difference. Please hear my heart. I'm all about desiring God. I'm all about being desperate for God. Only God can do this in your situation. I'm all about dependence, total dependence on God. If God doesn't come through, it's not going to happen. I'm all about being persistent in prayer. But look at this uh, passage here, Jared. There's a difference in pursuing God. Praying, spending time in his word, meditating on the scriptures because you believe them versus someone who is just begging God, hoping that God will just change his mind. God is withholding his love. God is withholding his blessing. God is withholding his joy, withholding his peace, withholding his healing. And if I beg long enough, I will get on his nerves and he will open his hand and give me what I need. There's a major difference in going to God because you believe the scriptures and you believe that they belong to you. It is now the children's bread. It is now something Jesus paid for for us. I don't have to approach God like the Gentile woman who had no right to receive from Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Or did I make everybody mad about the parking? 
I hope you're with me today. Matthew chapter 7, let me give you a new revelation on this. And again, I don't, I'm passionate today, but I'm not angry. I hope it doesn't come across that way. I just, I, I, I believe that this teaching has limited people from receiving from the Lord for so long. Matthew 7, keep on asking. Well, the Bible says to keep on asking. I'll give you that. The Bible says to keep on knocking. The Bible says to keep on seeking. Brother, thank God you can read your Bible. Does it say to keep asking for the same problem? Is that what, does that verse specifically say that? Does it say to keep knocking? Or, or, or what if? Somebody say, what if? I need a little more help than that. Somebody say, what if? What if? It means this. I'm at the food city. How many of you like the food city? With Ava and Noah. And every aisle, they ask me for something. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Susan does that to Rick every aisle. She's like, put it in the buggy. So like four aisles go by, and I put the stuff in the buggy. Well, the time the fifth aisle gets around, Ava, I'm not buying you anything else. Noah, I'm not buying you anything else today. You've spent enough of my money. No. What if this passage means this? Gail has the flu. She goes to God. God heals her. Two weeks later, she trips at work, hurts her ankle. She goes to God and God says, no, I'm sorry. I already healed you last week. I've healed you enough. What if? That's not how it works, by the way. What if this passage means keep on asking? This situation comes up, keep asking. This situation comes up, keep seeking God. This problem comes along, keep knocking on the door of heaven for your promise and your blessing. What if it means that? What if it means that everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened? So here's my interpretation. Instead of looking at these passages and instructions that we have to beg God to get him to release something out of his stingy hand, what if we are persistent in prayer like this? When I have a need, I pray, if, if I continue, if, if my mother gives me a car, which if you feel the spirit on that, I'm open. Praise God. If my mother gives me a car, stay with me now, because when we get in church, we like lose our mind. We like lose all logic and all thought. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I've seen some of you out there. My mother gives me a car, and I come over on Tuesday, and I say, Mom, can I have the car? Son, I gave it to you. Not only did I give it to you, I drove it to your house, dropped it off. I put gas in it. It's at your house. You've got the keys. Oh, okay, thanks. What if I come over on Wednesday? Mom, can I have the car? When are you going to give me the car? Can I have the car? Can I have the car? Please, 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 can I have the car? Y'all try that. That's not easy. Should have been auctioneer. Get better response. Praise God. At least they raise their hand during auctions. Hallelujah. No, because mom's already given me the car. So what is the proof? What is the proof that I've received the car? I quit asking. I'm not asking anymore, Mom, give me the car, because I've already received it. Now, I don't want to mess up your theology. I'm, not, I'm just telling you the way I pray, what works for me. I would dare say the folks you know that are just hell-bent on begging God for every little thing, they probably don't see a lot of answers in their life. And I don't mean that critical. I don't mean that uncompassionate. I'm just saying, let's look at what works not only in my life, but others' life around here. When you pray, the Bible says, Mark 11, 24. Jared, that's somewhere on that computer. I don't know where it is, but we're going to go there. Mark 11, 24 says, when you pray, Mark 11, 24, when you pray, believe that you have received. When you pray, believe that you have received. When do you receive the answer? When you pray. So if when you pray, you receive the answer, we're not continuing to ask God for that because I've already received the answer when I prayed. Well, how do you pray persistently? How do you continue to pray? Like this. I do this. I'll get my journal. Man, there's things in my journal that me and Tara, or t uh, uh, help me, Susan. Tara and I, thank you. There's things in my journal. I knew it was wrong when it came out of my mouth. There's things in my journal that Tara and I, that I have written about. That's how you remember, praise God. If it stands by.
myself, then it's right. Susan's teaching me, helping me. There's things that Tara and I have written in our journal, and we said on March 4th, we prayed, we asked God, and we believed that we received it. Now, it may take years before that answer shows up, but when I go to God in prayer daily, I say, Lord, you love me so much. Your word is so true. You said Mark eleven twenty four. When I pray, I'm supposed to believe that I received it. I remember back on March 4th, I prayed and I asked you, and I believed I received it. I ain't seen it yet, but I believe I received it. Now, I thank you. And Lord, by the way, this is the scripture that promised that. You said in 3 John 2, you beloved and above all, I want you to be in health and prosper. And Lord, even though I don't see this prosperity that I'm believing you for, and, and you said in Philippians 4.19 that you would supply every need. And oh God, even though I don't see it right now, I believe that I received it. Way back here, I believed it. And I'm going to hang on to your word until I see the manifestation. I don't, again, I'm not trying to mess up years of Christianity. I'm just telling you, if we think about it, we believe when we, we, re- we receive when we believe I don't have to keep asking God. He says, son, I gave it to you. Just hang on. Just hang on. It's not your time yet. Just hang on. That's what he told the woman. Let's keep reading in our verses here. I've got to go on. Look at verse Matthew 15, verse 24. Jesus said to the woman, I, uh, I've only been sent to help God's lost sheep, the sheep of Israel. He's, he didn't say no. He just said not yet. It's just not your time. It's not the Gentiles' time. Matthew 15, 25, she came and worshiped, pleading again, help me, Jesus responded. It's not right to take food. It's not like right to take the bread that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. Jesus said that. He wasn't calling her a dog, but he was quoting society. In society, they were the dogs. And he's making a point because we are the dogs. But we've been grafted in as sons and daughters. We've been given rights as sons. We're now not a dog, although we should be because we don't deserve it. But we're now children of God. We're now the the children. We we have access to the children's bread. I promise you, if you come over to my house, house on life group night, and there's some pizza sitting there, I promise you my kids have ate first. Because I love you, but God, I make sure my kids eat. I got no problem to share pizza with you, but if it comes down to it, I'm making sure my kids get their share. You know what I'm saying? You would too. Jesus said, he said, it's not right to take food, the children's bread, and throw it to the dogs. And look at verse 27. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Verse 28, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. Your faith is mega. Jesus wasn't denying her. He's saying, it's just not time. It's just not time. But she was persistent and got an answer. But now we, we view God differently because we're children of God. Look at point number four. Mega faith, not only point three, believes that the request will be granted, but number four, mega faith worships until the answer comes. The Bible says she fell down and she worshiped. The best response you can have in tragedy is to worship. The best response you can have until the answer comes and arrives is to worship is to get out the scriptures and read and pray and, and, and you're saying this to God. You're saying, I love you more than I love your answers. And it's about the moment that we really get to the point where we love you, Jesus, more than we love your answers and out of nowhere we'll probably see the answer come because we've got it right. We love you, God, more than your hand. Remember Daniel chapter 3? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We got Meshach here with us, so the story's true because he's been delivered, praise God. Oh, that's funny. This is Meshach. Come on, that was good. You guys laugh. Remember in Daniel chapter 3, we won't take time to look at it, but Nebuchadnezzar set up all the idols and all the false gods, and, and they said, listen, king, you can put us in the fire, and if God delivers us, that's great. But if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your idols. We've got to have a part of us that says, I'm going to love you, God, even if I don't see the answer. I've got to follow you, God. I'm going to worship you even if the answer doesn't come when I want it. And even if the answer doesn't come when I think I need it, 
I'm going to love you and I'm going to worship you. Mega faith worships until the answer comes. Look at Isaiah 40, 31. Is this okay? Hope you're not bored. I'm sure not. Those who wait, look at this. I think you have it on the screen, Jared. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait. That's not like waiting out, like hanging out. Like, what are you doing? I'm just waiting on God. That's not what it means. The word wait means to look eagerly attentive to and to hope. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant and had a waiter? How many know a good waiter is looking at you and when that they're eagerly expecting your glass to get half full and they run out and they go, they're watching, they're hoping, they're expecting you to need them. The word wait in the Hebrew means that we eagerly wait for, we're earnestly seeking and desiring. Those who earnestly desire, expect for, look and hope in him shall be changed and they shall renew their strength and they shall renew their power. They shall lift up their wings and mount up close to God. Somebody say close to God. They will mount up close to God as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me show you something if you can leave that up. Where is the the weariness gone and where is the fainting gone? Close to God. They will mount up on wings like eagles close to God, and then we find strength. Then we find persistence. Then we find patience. Then we don't faint. Then we don't become tired. Tired of what? Tired of praying and believing, and we give up. The answer is close to God. Last passage as Pastor Randy comes to help us. Number five. Mega faith receives the answer. This woman brought her problems to Jesus. This woman was persistent. We need to be persistent. Can I have an amen? This woman believed that her request is going to be granted. Even if Jesus had to make an exception, she believed her request would be granted. When we go to God, we must believe that our request, according to his will, will be granted. Don't get, don't, I've got a word for someone I really believe this morning. Don't get hung up on the time. The time is not the issue. The issue is the answer was sent, and it's on its way, and God loves you and cares for you. And if we do not faint, do not lose heart, we will receive. We'll reap in due season. Don't get hung up on the time. Throw the time out the window. Well, that's hard. Yes, it's hard. Well, that takes a lot of work. Yes, it takes a lot of work. Don't get hung up on the time. Mega faith believes the quest will be granted. Mega faith worships until the answer arrives. Mega faith receives the answer. The Bible says, Matthew 15, 26, Jesus responded, it's not right to take the food. She replied, that's true. And he said, and you got great faith. Go on your way. Go on your way. What if, somebody say, what if? What if she had stood there and continued to ask Jesus, please him, my daughter, please him, my daughter. You got great faith. Go on your way. No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. Please, I need you to help my daughter. Please, please. You got great faith. Go on your way. It's done. No, no, Jesus, please. I need you to do this. Eventually, he would go, woman, do you want your daughter healed or not? If you want your daughter healed, go and act like you've received the answer. Put some action to your faith. She did nothing to deserve it. She did nothing to earn it. But when she received it, it required action. She had to turn, say, thank you, sir. Nice to meet you. Nice beard. And she had to go on her way. She had to put action with her faith. Now I want to close with this. Please hear my heart. Please hear my heart. You get what you believe. I'm not talking some goofy new age deal. You stand in your garage and believe that you're a Ferrari, it's not going to work. Just because you put your head in an oven doesn't make you a biscuit. just makes you a hothead, praise God. You get 
what you believe. If you believe, you receive. If you don't believe, God will be limited in what he does in your life. Please hear this. Please, 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 please. You can believe God for the crumbs that fall off the table. And you will occasionally run into a crumb that's fallen off the table because God is so loving and so merciful. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. You can believe God for the crumbs. I'm not worthy, God. Of course, we know we're not. We're talking through the lenses of what Jesus has done, completed for us. You can believe God for the crumbs that fall from his table because that's what you deserve. That's what you'll get. Or you can believe God for the children's bread. You can believe God for what belongs to the children of God. It's on how you interpret. I don't know about you, but I'm believing God for what belongs to the children of God. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord. You're such an awesome God, and we just love you this morning. Thank you that you're settling this word in our heart. I want to ask my friend Rick to come. He's a leader in our church, and I want, to, I want him to pray over you. Just grab the hand of your neighbor, and I want us to cast every care on the Lord this morning. Our action, our action steps today are to cast every care, and we're going to make a decision. We're going to believe God for what belongs to the children of God. We're going to be persistent in prayer. We're going to believe God. We're going to worship until the answer comes. We're not going to give up. We're not going to be pressed and squeezed. We're going to go forward in the plans and purposes of God. And I want Rick to pray that over you this morning. And I believe God's changing some hearts today. And I look forward to meeting all of you in the back and shaking your hand as you leave. We love you so much. Rick, pray with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you that your word says that nothing can, can snatch us out of your hand. Lord, we thank you for our faith. And all it takes is something the size of a mustard seed. What a great, great word we heard this morning, God. We thank you for Pastor James and him being sensitive to your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word that is so powerful that it can instantaneously change our lives. So Lord, right now, the things that lay heavy on our heart, the things that concern us, Lord, we thank you that you care about our specific needs. And even though they may even seem small, you still care about them. And we thank you for this. So Lord, right now, we just take that step of faith in our hearts and in our minds. And we just move forward. And we say we're closer to you. We're moving to you. We're asking you just take a minute and just tell the Lord what you need this morning. Lord, we thank you that you always receive us. And we thank you that it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with Jesus and what he did on the cross. And that you accept us because of his blood. So Lord, we receive, we pray and we ask and we receive from you today. And we trust you. Now just take a minute. You can let go of the person's hand next to you. Just lift your hands up and just thank God for what he's doing for you. Lord, we thank you that 
Even though we don't really receive or really see this answer, we receive it. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. And we worship you and we give you praise and we just thank you for how much you love us and we thank you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. In the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.